neat to uh, welcome uh, all kinds of different visitors, but uh, you know these these two new ones. Uh, good to to share uh, their life here this morning. This is the first Sunday of Lent. Lent started on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. Um, but this is our, our first Sunday here together celebrating this time. And uh, I'll say it has been interesting trying to process um, these couple of different passages this morning during the week. Um, it's interesting trying to process both of these, pass- uh, these passages uh, together as it is, uh, let alone kind of watching and seeing some of the stuff going on in our world, uh, especially in the last couple of weeks. So let me start with a couple of questions. Uh, if you're, you haven't been here for a while, these are questions that you are invited to respond to. Um, the first one is, what are you doing to approach Lent in a different way? Anyone doing something, either, you know, often it's the tradition that you give something up for Lent. If that's your tradition, great. Uh, If it's trying something new, that's also a wonderful way to experience Lent. Anyone doing something a little different this year? Yeah, so celebration this year as a a change up from kind of what we've experienced around us. If you grab one of our Lenten devotionals, I'm sure it is very different than our standard uh, devotional booklet that you go through. Um, I hope that engages you in a different way and you know what, we're trying something a little different. If it doesn't go, you know, you don't find it that uh, fulfilling for you, uh, we'll go, we can go back to our normal Lenten devotional another time. But it's a, a different way to, to think and to process um, these Scripture passages as you're, you're coloring, uh, whether that's colored pencils, crayons, paint, however you want to do that. Um, just a different way of, of processing and thinking. Um, I know our, our kids are going to be doing some of that uh, in Sunday school. And uh, are they doing it in Sunday school or are they doing it in children's church? In Sunday school, okay. So they're getting a, a chance to look at these passages that we're talking about in the service. Uh, they're thinking about them. They're getting a chance to do their own coloring and engaging with those passages in a different way. So maybe that's something different. Next question is, what does the word resistance mean? Say the word resistance, what comes to mind? Constraint, Constraint. okay. Is it um, like we're pushing against the constraint or? Giving it up. Giving it up, okay. Giving up. Those constraints. Giving up politics and television. All right. That's our, our pushback against resistance. That's our, our resistance. All right. What other words, terms, uh, maybe synonyms come to mind with the word resistance? Resistance. 
Holding back? Do without. Let me push us to think a little bit more. What does Lent have to do with resistance? All right. Well, keep thinking about that. We're going to push into that. We're going to lean into that idea of Lent as a form of resistance, okay? Pushing back uh, against what's happening uh, around us or, or popular uh, ways of thinking, patterns um, that we often approach. As we look at that idea of Lent as resistance, and as we look at our passages this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be pleasing to you. Would you speak to us this morning through me or despite me and always through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. As I said at the beginning, I've been reading through these passages. I've been struggling to see how uh, they connect with one another. Also struggling to see how they connect with Lent and connect to this theme of resistance. The first passage that Nathaniel read for us out of Deuteronomy 26 verses 1 to 11 It comes as the people of Israel are about to enter into the promised land. And the people are given interesting instructions to celebrate once they move in and have taken hold of the land. They're instructed to uh, enact this practice, to to bring their first fruits, uh, to recite this uh, story uh, before the priests, and then to share a special meal, not just with them, but with the priests and with the uh, aliens that are residing in their midst, those that are out side of the immediate people of Israel. The celebration seems to be unique from Passover or the Feast of Booths or other prescribed celebrations that are given earlier in Deuteronomy. God instructs them that they are supposed to gather together the first fruits from the garden the, or, or their, their crops, the things that, that come up and are the first things that you collect. You know, I've shared with you in the, in the past that I enjoy gardening, and there's something special about those, those first fruits, the first things that come on to the, the vines or, or the bush or whatever. There's just a, a great excitement about sharing those. And, you know, the first couple of blueberries that come on the bushes at home, you, you pick those hopefully before the the birds get to them or or whatever. And, you know, it's just this little prize that you get to come in and and share with your family. Or uh, I enjoy taking the first tomato that I get to before the squirrels get to and uh, bring that in and have a a BLT um, and, and enjoy that and savor that. So there's something special about taking those first fruits and and bringing them uh, to this central location, uh, offering them up to the Lord 
uh, and then sharing a meal together with the Levites and the strangers in their midst. The basket that they brought this was to be placed in an altar and then the people recited a summary of their collective story. Some scholars think this was an early creed or, or statement uh, of summary of the faith of the people of Israel. And what they said was this, a wandering Aramean was my ancestor, which is an interesting way of referring to Abraham. Um, interesting way to remember the patriarch of their, their faith. My ancestor was a wandering Aramean. And he went down into Egypt. Uh, that down probably doesn't necessarily mean south. It means downward from the, the raised area of uh, Palestine that they were in. But it also was a spiritual direction. That they were leaving the high point where God was in Jerusalem, and they were going down to Egypt where God wasn't, or uh, that's the way they thought of it. And so Abraham went down, and he lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. And when the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. They're reciting, they're reminding themselves, they're reminding those around them of some very hard parts of their story about all the ways that things have not gone well about the times that maybe they felt abandoned, the times that they cried out to Yahweh, hear us. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders, and He brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. In these instructions, the people are given a call to remember and to retell their story of the Israelite people as they um, get ready to enter the promised land. They're instructed to remember the hard times in their story, but they're also instructed to remember about God rescuing them from Egypt. And, and notice that they're called to share that story with others. They're called to, to sit down, to, to share this meal, and, and to retell this story and invite others to participate in that story. They remember the hardships of the journey and remember God's deliverance in the journey. They're instructed to have a banquet with their first fruits. Notice who they celebrate with. It says, then you together with the Levites. And the, the Levites were the, the priestly group who, especially at the beginning, are relying on people bringing their, their gifts of first fruits, bringing their, their sacrifices. They rely on the people uh, sharing their, um, their, their produce with the people, with the, with the Levites. And so they're sharing that sustenance with this group. And they're also called to uh, share it with the aliens who reside among you. 
Remember that their story is about their ancestor as a wandering Aramean and that you were aliens, you were strangers, you were foreigners at one time and now you are called to invite those same folks into your midst and to share a meal with them. Inviting others into the story and into the blessing of Yahweh. There's a little bit of the passage that's happening here in Deuteronomy. Well, what about the story of the temptation of Jesus? We're told Jesus is led into the wilderness. Forty days of fasting, our 40 days of Lent, is meant to mirror those 40 days of fasting that Jesus does in the wilderness. Three primary temptations are presented to Jesus, three shortcuts to the kingdom. When Jesus is tempted with turning stones into bread, it is also a temptation to become a welfare king who pro- provides food for, for all these people. And these people are just drawn to the fact that he can produce food for them. And, and Jesus is saying, I'll, I'll produce food for people, but I'm going to produce more than just physical food. And Jesus being tempted with jumping off the temple, it's, it's a temptation to become a religious king through a, a religious um, s- spectacle. And just to be uh, this religious kind of king, Jesus wants to, to reform the religion that's happening around him. Jesus wants to change it. Jesus wants it to become a, a, a relationship with the living, breathing God. Restored relationship, not just a system of do's and don'ts, not just a a new system of laws. And then when Jesus is shown the kingdoms of the world, it is a temptation to become just a political king, given the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus will embody and introduce a different kind of kingdom altogether where there is more than enough to feed the people of the earth. Where it's about relationship, not the do's and don'ts of religion. Where the politics of the kingdom look like the Sermon on the Mount and not the tit-for-tat of earthly kingdoms. But what strikes me in this passage is at the very beginning. It's that the Spirit is the one guiding Jesus into the wilderness of testing. Stop and think about that. The Spirit is intentionally leading Jesus into the wilderness for a time of testing. One commentator, Jeremy Williams, highlights that it is the Spirit that leads Jesus into this time. The Spirit is often involved in leading people into places of testing and wilderness throughout Scripture. There's different examples of the Spirit leading into testing of wilderness. The pillar of fire and the cloud are leading the people of Israel into the wilderness through the Red Sea and through 40 years of wilderness testing. It's God's Spirit, God's presence, who's leading them through that time. 
leading them through different places of hardship, of different times of longing for food and longing for water. And then, you know, the people are given the manna and they're not satisfied with that. And they're given quail and they're not satisfied with that. And there are all kinds of grumbling. And, you know, they don't come out of that testing time with flying colors. Elijah is led into a time of testing. Following the confrontation with the priests of Baal, uh, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness and into a time of testing. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness for testing. You and I often pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, That could also be more of save us in the time of testing. We often spend most of our time trying to avoid the wilderness, avoid times of testing, avoid times of trial, avoid hardships, especially when it comes to uh, our spiritual lives. We want to avoid those times rather than leaning into the hardships, rather than leaning into the times of testing. Lent is the season that you and I are invited to lean into the wilderness. It is a time of testing, refinement, even lament. I went to um, the community Lenten service this week hosted uh, at St. Joan of Arc, and um, the youth director from St. Joan's, uh, John Trissick, was quoting another minister that said, if churches have praise teams, we should also have lament teams. Doesn't sound nearly as cool. But we often surround ourselves with praise and and prayer and, and the things that feel good, but there are also times that you and I are called to the hard work of lament because not everything is right in the world around us. And lament as much as we often don't want to admit, is all throughout Scripture. I mean, there's a book of the Bible called Lamentations. There's lots of Psalms and Proverbs of David and others pouring out their hearts, pouring out their souls, crying out for God. There's examples of Jesus in the garden, lamenting, crying, weeping, His tears turning like blood. Doesn't sound like, sound as much fun to have a lament team. We don't write many songs of lament in the church today. And those songs of lament that we have in our hymnals, we typically don't sing. I think modern American Christians are tempted to excessive happiness where everything is rainbows rainbows and unicorns. You contrast that, this kind of happiness, with the real joy that comes through the wilderness, through remembering the story of a wandering ancestor who goes down to Egypt as an alien, who winds up as a slave, 
and then in the wilderness, but eventually they come to the promised land. Or the joy that comes through 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days of Lent, dealing with our brokenness, facing, testing head on. The joy that comes in dying to ourselves. The joy that comes in dying to our selfish ways to be brought to new life because of Jesus. The biblical witness is far more real and dealing with the real world things that happen in our lives that are not always rainbows and unicorns and fuzzy teddy bears. Scripture is far more real. There's wandering and testing and lamenting and wrestling with God and wrestling with ourselves. So what does this have to do with resistance? Is resistance offering a happiness that doesn't actually deal with the wilderness of the world? That doesn't deal with the wandering aliens, those ripped from homes by war and violence? Or does resistance look like a people who sit in in the, the, the melancholy season of Lent and contemplates the wilderness, who remembers the stories of wandering and enslavement, who sits down to eat with the aliens and invites them into a better story? I've actually had the news on a lot more in the last two weeks than I typically do. Usually I turn it off because of the political back and forth that we experience here in the United States. But something bigger than that has been happening in our world. I've been watching what's happening in Ukraine with my heart breaking seeing some of the stories. And I've been wrestling with the idea that if I were there, Katie and the boys would be the ones fleeing for Poland or fleeing for other countries, and I would be the one left behind, stuck there, because I'm of fighting age. And what I'm really wrestling with is I'm not of fighting theology. So what does that mean? What does that look like? What's my participation in that if I were there? And I find that um, the armchair theology of me in the United States, of me in comfort, uh, uh, sitting in a you know, comfortable seminary, what does that look like? If I were in the situation of brothers and sisters in Ukraine... It's interesting that the Orthodox Church, of which the Church of Ukraine is a part, begins Lent tomorrow. We want to talk about testing and wilderness experience that's all too real. Lent is the time for the church to lean into the brokenness the wilderness, and the testing. 
And sometimes we lean in and we don't have all of the answers. It's interesting that the, the psalm that, that Katie read in between the songs is, is very much one of, of hope and, and proclaiming God's protection. And it's the one that the diabolic one in Luke quotes. In that moment, Jesus says, but I'm not going to put my God to the test. It's hard because there's great truth in that psalm that God does want to protect us, but sometimes it's hard to see how that gets tied in with uh, his people in slavery and Jesus uh, dealing with testing. And so I have to say that even as a pastor, I don't have simple answers for the wandering of Lent, the wandering of wilderness. And I find myself in this time just having to cry out to God, to trust that God is in control, to trust that the Spirit is there walking with us through the wilderness experiences, walking with His children in Ukraine through their wilderness experiences. And yet I don't know exactly what that all looks like. This is the time for remembering that the biblical story, the story of Jesus, the Christian story, and each of our own stories do not skip over the brokenness, the pain, the moments of trial and temptation, but rather the way of the cross And the way of Jesus leads through death to life. And so I do believe Lent is an act of resistance. A resistance against a detached, false, utopian happiness that does not realize the actual lived experiences of God's people. But also a resistance against hopeless fatalistic giving up. This story leads somewhere. And so in the season of Lent, we can dive into the the wilderness experience, but know that the story is going somewhere. So let us wrestle and confront the demonic one, the diabolic one. Let us dig deep into the scriptures that it may plant itself deep in our souls. Let us remember the stories of our past and how Yahweh has redeemed in the past and know that the story is being repeated in the present. Let us gather with others who are outcasts Aliens, strangers, widows, orphans, and others. Let us share a meal and share a story that tells the good news of Jesus. We continue through this journey 
of Lent. As our song, our hymn of response this morning, I'm going to uh, and encourage you to turn in your blue hymnal to number 546. This hymn is called Guide My Feet. It is a, a, an old African-American spiritual. It is a, a call and response. And so I, I think uh, Brother Dick is going to be giving the call and you and I are going to be responding. Inviting, um, asking, pleading uh, for the Holy Spirit to be guiding us through the journey. And so that is what we will sing together this morning. So again, turn in your blue hymnal to number 546, Guide My Feet. <laughs> 